Good day, folks. Larry G. McGuire here. You're welcome along to the LARB podcast. This is episode number 183. And today I'm talking about analogical thinking. Analogical thinking is a form of lateral thinking, thinking outside the box. And uh, although the term sounds a little bit abstract, it's, I suppose it is, but it's not that complicated. It basically means or involves taking uh, an analogy uh, for which, a situation for which we have a solution and applying it to our current problems in order to find an answer to that particular problem. So I'll give you some examples of that. But what got me onto this subject um, is really a book that I picked up a little while ago by Edward de Bono. Um, This book was written, I think, maybe 40 years ago or so. Uh, And in it, uh, de Bono outlines some methods for thinking uh, beyond our current concepts um, in order to generate new ideas. And in today's article, which I'll also narrate for you shortly, uh, one of those particular ideas was uh, pretty successful for the individual who came up with it, uh, turned it into a commercial venture and uh, became very wealthy as a result. Uh, the product he created, uh, you're probably familiar with, it's called Velcro. And we'll get into that in a bit too. But uh, before we jump into the material, uh, I'd like to thank you for coming along and listening in. And if you like what I create, if you like what I write over on LarryGMcGuire.com, if you like these podcast episodes and you'd like me to continue and you'd like to support me in my work, please consider getting over to Patreon.com forward slash LarryGMcGuire and support the show for as little as a dollar a month. I don't put any advertising on the show. I could do the podcast creation platform that I use allows me to do that. I maybe tinkered with the idea at the very start when I started recording these shows, but uh, I chose not to because I think it spoils and dilutes the integrity of the material. I create this stuff because I enjoy creating it. I write because I like to write and for no other reason. If I can make money from it, that's brilliant. If I can uh, raise a few bob to support me and allow me pay for the tools that I use to make these episodes and write these articles, well then, that's great. I have another source of income that pays the bills and keeps the lights on, so uh, it's not the end of the world, but I would appreciate it if you guys like what I do, is to support the show, and that would be pretty cool. And I've got some rewards and stuff over there if you'd like to check them out. So uh, it's patreon.com forward slash Larry G. McGuire if you'd like to contribute. All right, so this book, Lateral Thinking, by Edward de Bono, um, there's a couple of little passages I'd like to read for you. Um, I should say it was published first, it looks like, around 1970. Yeah. So there we are, 1970. That's, what, 50 years ago? So th- these these means and methods of coming up with new ideas are relevant. Now, that doesn't mean to say that systematic uh, methodologies of thought um, are always going to get us out of a hole when we're when we're deep down in it. You know, I remember when uh, I was under immense pressure in work uh, to produce and to perform in my own uh, business, to bring in work and make sure I had enough to keep all the guys going 
and pay all the bills and all that kind of stuff and still take a wage from it. For years, the guys working for me made more money than I did. Now, that's a typical uh, downfall of most small business owners. And I'm not here to cry on about that. But the fact I'm, I'm trying to get across here is that when you're under pressure and when you're you're in a bad place psychologically, it's very difficult to find a solution. And other people might be able to recognize that you're in the shit, even if you don't. They might be able to offer you solutions to your problem, but you can't hear them. It's impossible. Something has to burn out. Uh, you almost have to give up the struggle in order to realize a better way. Uh, that's been my experience anyway. So lateral thinking, coming up with solutions to problems, only works when you're in a good place. If you're anxious and uptight, maybe even depressed, uh, finding solutions to your problems are practically impossible because uh, by virtue of being immersed in the problem, your anxiety keeps you from the answers, if that makes sense. So anyway, uh, Edward de Bono wrote this book in 1970. I think he's still uh, above ground um, and he has uh, I'd like to quote for you a couple of things. What I do when I read a book is that uh, I have a little ruler, maybe even a, a bank card or a, 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 and a pen as well and uh, or maybe a bookmark. And what I do is when I find a passage that uh, stands out, I underline it. So that's what I that's what I do in army books. And these passages that I underline that stand out for me, I uh, later put them into uh or they contribute towards the articles that I write. And um, these these uh, sections have, have done that, or have helped me in the most recent article. Incidentally, today's article, which I'll narrate for you, is over on larrygmaguire.com. It's one or two from the top on the homepage, so you should be able to get it. Anyway, Edward de Mono, what he says about lateral thinking. Lateral thinking is concerned with the generation of new ideas. Lateral thinking is also concerned with breaking out of the concept prisons of old ideas. This leads to changes in attitude and approach to looking in a different way at things which have always been looked at in the same way. Liberation from old ideas and the stimulation of new ones are twin aspects of lateral thinking. So in other words, what he's saying, you, uh, you take your mind off what everyone else has always thought about a particular issue and put it somewhere else on something new. So he continues, lateral thinking is quite distinct from vertical thinking. Um, He says these two are complementary, incidentally, Um, uh, which is the traditional type of thinking. In vertical thinking, one moves forward by sequential steps, each of which must be justified. Linear analysis and linear um, progress. The The distinction between the two sorts of thinking is sharp. For instance, in lateral thinking, one uses information not for its own sake, but for its effect. In lateral thinking, one may have to be wrong at some stage in order to achieve a correct solution. In vertical thinking, logic or mathematics, this would be impossible. In lateral thinking, one may be deliberate one may deliberately seek out irrelevant information. In vertical thinking, one selects only what is relevant. Lateral thinking is not a substitute for vertical thinking. Both are required. They are complementary. Lateral thinking is generative. Vertical thinking is selective. So he goes on. If you haven't read this book or you don't have it, I'd certainly recommend it. It's only a tenner on Amazon. Uh, Lateral thinking, I think that was his first book. Um, So he goes on later in the book to talk about 
analogical thinking. Um, his coverage of it is quite short. And uh, most of the material that I got for this particular article uh, was from a psychology textbook, <clears throat> second European edition, simply called Psychology. And uh, it goes into it in a little bit more detail. But from that textbook, uh, I pulled out a story or I went researching a story about a guy uh, called, um, what was his name? George de Mestral. He was a Swiss dude. And uh, he discovered um, while walking in the mountains this uh, this uh, little process for um, fastening clothes and stuff. Um, and he drew his idea from a seed pod which stuck to his socks and his trousers and stuff and, and his dog's fur. Kind of like the, the stuff that... Uh, you find grown, or at least what we do in my country, in Ireland, uh, in hedgerows and the side of streets, sides of bushes and stuff. It's kind of, we used to call it stickleback. And you'd pull it up and throw it at each other and it'd stick to your clothes and you used to get some fun out of that. But um, these little seed pods stuck to his clothes and to his dog's fur. And he wanted to know how they did that. And uh, it took him 10 years or so to develop uh, his idea into a, into a, a working uh, model maybe even over 10 years um but eventually it became successful he stuck with it he believed in it so did a bit of research on that story and uh, i've got a bit on that for you um but essentially what what thinking by analogy allows you to do it allows you to use um a particular solution to a known problem or a known solution to a particular problem and apply it to your own problem. So there's an example, um, it's wide, widely quoted online and stuff and around the place, that uh, let's say a doctor uh, has a predicament. He has a patient with uh, a tumor and he knows how to uh, defeat the tumor but if he uses the level of radiation required to do so, he'll damage the tissue around the patient and the patient may die. So he has to come up with an alternative solution. So he uses um, the analogy of a general in a war or in a battle. And the general is trying to attack a town. But to send all his troops down a single route to the town to take it, um, he risks... Uh, endangering the lives of most of his his army because the road is mined. So to take a single route to the town is impossible. So what the general does is he approaches the town from a number of different directions with smaller groups of his forces and eventually takes the town. So the doctor then applies this analogy to the situation with the patient uh, and applies uh, radiation therapy from a number of different points at the same time and reduces the size of the tumor and allows the patient to recover without damaging the, the the surrounding tissue and so on. So this whole idea of analogy uh, allows you to take a solution to a known problem and apply it to your own. What I've done in the past is um, with my kids, with my two boys who are um, gone into secondary school, they're uh, 12 and 13. And uh, as most kids would have, some degree of uh, trouble or challenge understanding the concept of fractions and decimals and percentages. So I came up with this analogy with the lads uh, to use an apple. 
Uh, and what I say to the guys is, um, okay, lads, here's an apple. Uh, how much of the apple have we got? Give it to me in percentage terms. And they say, well, they all, all the apple is there, or it's a full apple. And I say, okay, well, if we chop the apple in half and I eat one half, how much have I got left? Well, you got half of it. Okay, what's that? Well, then that's 50% and so on. And we get into this and chopping up the apple allows them to conceptualize uh, the whole idea of mathematics and fractions and decimals and percentages. And it seems to work. I know that's a very simplistic uh, way of looking at it, but if you can't break something down in simplistic terms, well, then you're kind of lost. But uh, that's what I use. And it's my own personal example of how I use analogy. Um, maybe you can find uh, a means of doing the same for problems that you've got, maybe in your business or in your sport or whatever. But uh, I like this idea of using analogy. I like the way it allows us to go outside the box because traditional modes of thought uh, you know, this is how we've always done it. So this is the way we continue to do it. it. Really keeps us down and keeps us from um, developing ourselves and developing our businesses and developing our skills. Uh, we've got to look for new ways of doing things. That's why um, it's always good to try something new in terms of, you know, if you're if you're a runner, for example, um, and you've, you've you've been running from the time you're a kid and your training has always been the same. Um, you might be well used to that and it might be bringing about good results, but maybe you should try something else. Maybe try a different sport and see how that feeds in to your own uh, capabilities and your own skill set. For example, my kids play Gaelic football, they play hurling, they play rugby and they play soccer on the road. Um, and all of those sports complement each other and help to make them better sports people, sports children, <laughs> maybe. But anyway, you get the you get the idea. So today's article that I want to narrate for you now is titled Analogical Thinking, a Method for Solving Problems, and moves on from uh last week's article uh about the self-disciplines of Buckminster Fuller. Uh, next week I'm actually in the next episode, I should say, I'll get in more more into this whole idea of thinking and decision making. Uh, but for now, we'll uh, narrate this article for you. Stand by. Analogical thinking, a method for solving problems. The ability to solve problems in, is an essential skill for survival and growth in the fast-paced, moment-to-moment shifting of modern society. No matter what the domain of expertise or work, challenges present themselves at an ever-increasing rate. And so it should be. For what is a life worth living if we never have problems to solve? We must accept that challenges challenges are inherent in life, and so we must use our imagination and ingenuity to find solutions. Creativity and high performance require it. Although solving problems is never as simple as following a linear process, using lateral thinking processes for generating solutions is a skill we can cultivate. And in this week's article, I'm taking a look at a couple of examples of analogical thinking in practice. However, do take into account that often switching off entirely from the problem can be the best route to a solution. When I was a kid growing up in the suburbs of Dublin City, we play in the grounds of an old farmhouse that stood in the middle of the housing estate. Cleavers, wild grasses and other naturally occurring local plants grew widely on the grounds. We called cleavers sticklebacks because they had little hooks all over them that made them stick to our clothes. 
We'd pull out bunches and chase, chase each other around for fun. Many plants growing wild in the countryside have evolved with this ability to latch on to other material like walls and trees and animal fur, other plants in the backs of children's jumpers. Ordinarily, as adults, we don't pass any comment other than perhaps, isn't that clever? But in 1941, as George de Mestral walked in the Jura Mountains with his dog, the clever ability of the Xanthium stromarium seed pods to which attached themselves to his clothes and his dog's fur captured his interest. Little did he realise that this determined little seed pod would be the foundation for what would become a multi-million dollar business. George de Mestral was born to a middle-class Swiss family in June 1907. His father, Albert, was a civil engineer and no doubt had a significant influence on the developing mind of his son, with young George showing his creative ability by designing and patenting a toy aeroplane at age 12. De Mestral attended the highly respected École Polytechnique Fédérale de la Seine on the shores of Lake Geneva, Switzerland, where he studied engineering. Completing his studies, he secured employment in a Swiss engineering company where he honed his technical skills. De Mestral also enjoyed hunting in the mountains, and on one particular occasion in 1941, as the story goes, he was prompted to investigate the means by which those stubborn cockleburs adhered to his clothes. Upon examining the seed pod under a microscope, he noticed hundreds of tiny hooks that covered the outer husk of the seed pod. It's likely that the Mestral required many exposures to the stubborn cockleburr to prompt his inquiry. However, given his inventive mind, he somehow, somehow made a connection between what he observed and its possible commercial use. He thought that if he could somehow employ the principle used by the cockleburr to fabricate a synthetic fastening system, he would have a solution to the problems occurring with conventional fasteners of the time. The Mestral conceptualized what he wanted to create, but coming up with a practical design took considerable time. Clothing manufacturers didn't take him seriously, and he encountered many practical challenges in bringing his idea to life. After many attempts, he eventually found a manufacturer in Lyon, France, who was willing to work with him, and together they combined the toughness of nylon with cotton to create the first working prototype. With the new material, he was able to recreate the tiny microscopic hooks he'd observed under a microscope all those years before. Proving his concept, he soon after applied and received a patent for his invention and launched his manufacturing business, which he named Velcro. A combination of the French words velour for velvet and crochet for hook. It took nearly 15 years of research before he was finally able to succe- successfully reproduce the natural fastening system he had seen, seen on the Xanthium stromarium seed pods, but he stuck to his idea, a testament to his belief in the solution he had found. Demestral's Use of Analogical Thinking Despite its widespread use today, Velcro was not an immediate commercial success for Demestral. However, by the early 1960s and the race to reach the moon, it seems that Velcro was in the right place at the right time. With the developing needs of the aerospace industry and successful use of Velcro by NASA, the clothing and sportswear industries also realised the possibility that the Mestral's product presented. Soon, Velcro was selling over 60 million metres of hook and loop fastener per year, and the Mestral became a multimillionaire. 
whether he realised it or not, Demestral used what today we term analogical thinking or analogical reasoning, the process of finding a solution to a problem by finding a similar problem with a known solution and applying that solution to the current situation. What is analogical thinking? The world-renowned writer and philosopher Edward de Bono, creator of the term lateral thinking, says that analogy technique for generating ideas is a means to get some movement going, to start a train of thought. The challenge for us when presented with a difficult problem is that we can become hemmed in by traditional habitual thinking. Thinking laterally through the use of analogy helps to bring about a a swift change away from this habitual thinking. In his book, Lateral Thinking, first published almost 50 years ago, De Bono suggests that lateral thinking, of which thinking by analogy is an aspect, is the opposite of traditional vertical thinking, although he also says that both lateral thinking and vertical thinking can work together rather than in opposition. Thinking by analogy helps to bring about creativity and insight and is a system of thought that can be learned. The analogy is a simple story that becomes an analogy when it is compared to the current problematic situation. The story implied must have a process that can be followed that we can easily understand and apply to the present circumstance. For example, you might criticise a tradesperson for creating such a mess in your home and he might suggest that to make an omelette he has to break some eggs. Yes, as you, just please don't break them all over the good carpet. Analogical thinking experiment. In 1980, Mary Gick and Keith Holyoke at the University of Michigan investigated the role of analogical thinking in psychological mechanisms that underlie creative insight. In their study, they suggested that anecdotal reports of creative scientists and mathematicians suggested that the development of new theories often depended on noticing and applying an analogy drawn from different domains of knowledge. Analogies cited include the hydraulic model of the blood circulatory system and the planetary model of the atomic structure of matter. In their experiment, Gick and Holyoke presented subjects first with a military story. In the story, an army general wishes to capture a fortress located in the centre of a country to which there are several access roads. All have been mined so that while small groups of men can pass through safely, a large number will detonate the mines. A full-scale direct attack is therefore impossible. The general solution is to divide his army into small groups, send each group to the head of a different road and have the groups converge simultaneously on the fortress. Participants are then asked to find a solution to the following medical problem. A doctor is faced with a patient who has a malignant tumour in his stomach. It is impossible to operate on the patient, but unless the tumour is destroyed, the patient will die. There is an X-ray that can be used to destroy the tumour, but unfortunately, at the required intensity, the surrounding healthy tissue would also be destroyed. At a lower intensity, the rays are harmless to the healthy tissue, but they will not affect the tumour either. What type of procedure might be used to destroy the tumour? And at the same time, avoid killing the healthy tissue. The researchers were interested to know how participants would represent the analogical relationship between the story and the problem and generate a working solution. For participants who didn't receive the military story, only 10% managed to generate a solution to the problem. 
The percentage rose to 30% for those who received the story in advance of the problem. Interestingly, the result climbed to 75% when participants read more than one analogous story. Results from the study provide experimental evidence that solutions to problems can be generated using using an an analogous problem from a very different domain. However, the researchers caution against the assumption that solving problems by analogy may not deliver positive results where the problems are more complex. Success is also dependent on the individual's exposure to similar conditions in the past, with increased exposure likely to yield more consistent results in solving similar problems. The apple analogy. My sons are aged 11 and 12, and they regularly find challenges with mathematics, just like most kids do. Mathematics is an abstract system of thinking, and I can understand the difficulty many children may have from time to time in getting to grips with it. The terminology is alien, and they need to build out concepts and schemas for what is essentially a new and complex language. They are learning how to work with fractions, percentages and ratios, and most of the time they navigate their way successfully, but on occasion they get stumped and ask for help. When they do, I always bring in the analogy of an apple. One maths question asked my son to divide an amount of money between John and Edward in the ratio of 12 to 9. My son reckoned that it wasn't a fair split. I told him that John worked harder than Edward and we proceeded. I asked him first to consider the amount of money as an apple and asked him what we would need to do to share the apple so that John gets 12 pieces and Edward gets 9. He correctly said, slice the apple into 21 equal pieces, give John 12 and Edward 9. So now I said, can we split this money up in the same way? We were on the pig's back. I always pull out the apple analogy for the kids' math problems, and it seems to work very well. Final thoughts. I remember about 10 years ago when my business was in the toilet and I was under enormous financial stress. Every day was a fight with myself and everyone around me. Most days I managed things as well as possible, but other days I was beaten. I can safely say that no amount of input from those who could see what I couldn't, no amount of analogical thinking could have helped me. I was in a prolonged state of hyperactivity and awareness of the problems. Neurochemically, my brain could not see or operate in my favour. When I look back now, I realise that those set of events simply needed to burn themselves out. Actively trying to solve an apparent problem can often be problematic in itself. By virtue of our own focus on the problem, we often can't see the solutions, and as no amount of thinking can relieve us from the predicament. Analogical thinking has a firm place in creative pursuits, however, it can only be successfully employed when we are in a calm and collected state of mind. That's been my finding. Therefore, I believe that our job in performing to the highest level, no matter what our domain of expertise, is to cultivate a stable and measured state of mind. In that place, we can encourage access to parts of the mind that lie beyond our conscious thought and receive the answers to life's most complex problems. Thanks for listening to today's article. I hope you found that interesting. Certainly I did in research and for it. Uh, I should say that in writing these articles, they're usually around 2,000 words, 2,500 words. Um, I'm recording these podcast episodes. It takes about two days. I'd say in total, probably about 20 hours. 
sometimes longer. Depends on how, how complex uh, the topic is and how much detail I need to gather in order to write a good article or something that I can say, yeah, that's that's all right. Because I read them over so many times before I hit publish. And I often, you know, you get grammatical errors and spelling mistakes and stuff. I just, I just, I suppose I've learned to let that go. But there has to be a particular flow to the article. And hopefully, hopefully I achieve that flow. I think when I read it, if I, if I read it back to myself uh, before I narrate it, like I've just done, uh, and it sounds okay, it sounds like it, there's a bit of a flow to it, well then, um, I'm generally happy. And what I found actually recently in the last three articles that I've written uh, in in this recent uh, burst of writing, creative writing, it's not really creative, is it? I suppose it is, is that I've spent more time on, on producing a more detailed uh, article and uh, the comments on, on the articles are up and uh, I must check my MailChimp account and see what uh, the conversion rate is like on these things. But uh, the hope is that people like you will get more value from the stuff that I'm writing. And uh, I enjoy I enjoy doing it. And uh, really, there's no better reason to do anything other than you enjoy it. Um, on that subject, uh, I seem to be drawn to these articles that support this idea. You know, the ideas that I've been sharing in recent times in the artist manifesto, that book that I'm still working on. Um, I can't let it out until it's ready. But anyway, um, I find increasing support for this idea that to keep our work, whether it's a business or not, to keep it small and focused is uh, to our benefit. Now that doesn't mean that we stay boxed in like it was, like this whole subject today of analogical thinking, it's good to spread ourselves out and uh, and learn new things because they all feed into our core focus, you know, whatever we're drawn in to do. All these things feed in, you know. I mean, it's that's why it's good to experiment with other sports. If you're a sports person, if you're a Gaelic footballer or a soccer player or a rugby player, go do some other sports. Go do wrestling. Go do CrossFit. Go do some powerlifting, uh, go play tennis, do something different that's going to challenge your body in a different way. Otherwise, you just plateau, you know. Um, <clears throat> I think that's the same thing as what I've been talking about today. Um, maybe you agree, maybe you don't. Anyway, we'll keep going. Uh, I should say that, uh, or I would like to remind you before I quit today's episode, uh, if you like this episode, if you like the article that I've written, that accompanies this uh, recording, please consider getting over to Patreon and support me in my work. It's patreon.com forward slash Larry G. McGuire. And uh, your support would be uh, greatly appreciated. The more the merrier. And uh, it'll help me create more time to make more of this stuff. So that's all I've got for you today. I hope you enjoyed today's article and listened today. If you've got any thoughts on analogical thinking or other modes of thought or other modes of thinking that help create new solutions to all problems, well, you can share them with me. Post a comment over uh, on larrygmaguire.com on the article, Analogical Thinking, or if you're listening on Anchor, you can send me a message. I'd love to hear from you. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn and Twitter and stuff too, so you'll find me there on Facebook. Although 
I've decided recently um, in probably the last six months that not to spend so much time on these platforms because they really are exhausting and they just they, they distract you from the work. I think the more immersed we get in our work, the more immersed we can become in our daily work and do do it in a good state of mind. I think uh, whatever you term success is inevitable, you know. That's my philosophy. And uh, it's not only mine. Buckminster Fuller had it too. And uh, I don't mind following his lead. So thanks for listening today. I'm going to wind it up now. Uh, next week, I'm talking about how to make rational decisions. It's moving on from analogical thinking a little bit. But uh, uh, I think you'll like that episode. That's coming up soon. And uh, that's it for now. So thanks for listening in. Do check the blog out, larrygmaguire.com. Post me a comment. Send me a message here on Anchor. Uh, the show is available on iTunes and Spreaker and everywhere the good podcasts are played, you'll get this show. So uh, keep tuning in. All right, that's it from me. Take care. I'll see you next time. All the best.